516 Arts, in partnership with the Wheelwright Museum of the American Indian, presents Feminisms, an exhibition featuring artists, many artists of various cultures, whose creative possibilities use the theme of feminism in its most expansive meaning. And it's opening soon, September 26, and we're going to have more details for you in a while about that. I welcome to Women's Focus today curator Andrea Hanley of the Navajo Nation. She is chief curator at the Wheelwright Museum of the American Indian in Santa Fe. Also joining us is Marie Watt of the Seneca Nation, who lives in Portland, Oregon. Her work draws from history, biography, proto-feminism, and indigenous principles. She has created work largely with textile arts and community collaboration centered on diverse Native American themes, exploring the intersection of history, community, and storytelling. So welcome, Andrea and Marie. So glad you're here to talk about this, what sounds like a really exciting exhibit. So I'm going to do, um, very quickly, basic, basic definition of feminism. Believing in the advocating for women's social, political, and economic rights, basically it originated in the West and manifested worldwide. And I know, I realize we'll have to see the exhibition to answer this for ourselves, but Andre, I want to start off by asking you, what is exploring feminism in its most expansive meaning? There's probably a lot of responses that you can give, but I want to hear what you have to say about it. Well, thanks so much for having me, um, Anne-Marie. Um, as, a, as an Navajo woman, I think the importance of a feminist voice started very young for me. My mother was an activist, and the women in my family were always very strong. So there's a knowledge in the works in this exhibition that feels very familiar to me. Um, as um, I'm not sure if you know this or not, but Navajos are matrilineal. So traditionally, we're a strong, we're some strong women. And um, I sort of um, have come from that background. Um, I was also mentored by LaDonna Harris, an icon and hero and native um Native female empowerment, who also instilled using indigenous or your tribal core cultural values as a way of working and, and strengthening your place in your community and in the contemporary world that you work and you thrive in. And so the, the artists in this exhibition, in a sense, manifest very broadly um, what feminism is. Um, they speak um, what, what I'm calling the language of women. So they, they take that language and they elevate it and they amplify it and they turn it into art and, and, and taking an original voice or work or process that feels relevant to what's happening right now, that feels to, relevant to this moment. So I'm really excited that 516 asked me to curate this exhibition, which I so appreciate. Um, I, um, I'm excited about it. Um, as you said, that we, I looked at, I'm, I'm so interested in this particular group of artists in the exhibition, um, all women except for one man. And um, I, I chose artists from various cultures who perhaps haven't, we haven't seen regionally here in New Mexico, perhaps so many voices in feminist art who are making works that speak to now or the future. Um, most are in the beginning of their careers or, or mid-career, and they're broadly from the West. And um, they, the works are really far-reaching, you know, from a diaspora experience, the politics of body, resilience, self-determination, and, and land. And I, I can't speak for everyone's experience, but I know what I feel regarding works of art and those women who create them. 
um, the the language that I, I talk about about women or or you know when I think about this indigenous women, I talk about ideals and, and identity and values and sovereignty and um, and human rights. And I acknowledge that indigenous women are, and, and all women for that matter are are different and diverse and that women hold and express power within their communities or their tribes and their nations in, in very different ways. And I think that that's really important to recognize and reaffirm. So what I tried to do in this exhibition is I tried to demonstrate that range of power. Yeah, that's, that's really, really great. I know I, I read that Feminisms was developed in conjunction with a new initiative spearheaded by the Feminist Art Coalition. Can you tell us about that uh, initiative? It's a, it's a national effort, isn't it? It is a national effort. Um, it's femini- it, was, it was developed in conjunction with um, the Feminist Art Coalition, which is really kind of a national effort looking to inspire a broad variety of exhibitions and public programs across the country to centralize feminist perspectives and um, concerns in the cultural consciousness leading into and the year following um, the two, um, the 2020 election. And so it really takes the feminist thought and practice as its point of departure and considers art as a catalyst for civic engagement. As well, this is the year of um, the woman as well as um, the anniversary of suffrage. So there's a number of different things that I think really come into play um, in, in creating this exhibition. Marie, how does the concept of this exhibition resonate with your thoughts of art as a catalyst for civic engagement? Uh, it, in so in so many ways, this exhibition and, and theme resonates um, with my my practice and also just with my um, values and um, upbringing as a Seneca uh, Indigenous woman. Um, one thing I'd like to share is that it, sometimes I think it's funny um, to think of feminism originating in the West, because I think that in many indigenous communities, especially in matrilineal communities, which I am also from, um, we've always had uh, women in leadership positions. And in our community, for example, um, not only did we live actually, funny enough, in proximity to the suffragists like Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Melissa, um, Matilda Jocelyn Gage, um, but in our community, uh, women have historically uh, had the right to vote, and we've um, also, uh, land ownership is the domain of women. Uh, our enrollment rights uh, are passed on through our mothers and our clans um, as well, and I'm from the Turtle Clan. And so uh, one thing that... Um, I've really considered through the years is that I consider, I think of myself as coming from um, proto-feminist stock. (laughs) And part of that really has to do with um, being surrounded by um, strong, strong women throughout my life. Yeah, I'm so glad Uh, you're bringing that up. Can you just, I'm sorry to interrupt. Can you just explain what proto-feminism is? Yeah. I mean, for me, proto-feminism is, um, like the values that are uh, knit into feminism, but it, it is an idea about um, 
women and girls having value in our communities um, that are equal um, to our peers. And I think that um, one thing that's really important to think about when we talk about feminism is that um, feminism is not female-centric. It takes a community um, to, uh, let's see, it takes a uh, community to... Help me out here, Andrea. <laughs> it takes it. Well, you know, it, I think that, you know, engagement in that sense really serve um, as, as a, as a way for artists as a catalyst for artists to generate community dialogue and dynamics, dynamic experiences. Um, you know, I think that, am, am I right? Is this where you're going? Yeah. I, th I think like, uh, I'm just like, I'm running short on words, but I guess like for, for when I think of, feminism it's like we we need our male and non-binary it takes a village mm -hmm. <laughs> for uh people to for for humanity to thrive so for me being a proto-feminist really is about you know coming from a place where women um are in, like essential uh contributors to um, our community. I think that it's, it is an important message. And I think, you know, I think one thing that's important in the indigenous community is I think that we need, we need everyone. So I think feminism is really important, but that doesn't, that's not at the extent that shouldn't be, it's not at the expense of our, um, you know, male, it's not at the expense of our relationship with other, you know, I think, yeah, I think you're right. And I think you're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, as, as a child and a, later as a younger, younger adult, you know, from the seventies through the two thousands, I remember, you know, um, being active in, in terms of, of, um, I mean, with my parents, like we protested, we marched for Navajos, we marched for women, we marched for gay rights or police brutality among a whole bunch of other issues. And we did that as a family. Right. You know, and so both my parents were firm believers in equal rights for women, but both my parents are Navajo. And, you know, my father really understood that. So, you know, my mom sat on the Arizona Board of Planned Parenthood and was very active in, in women's rights and was even highlighted as one of the top 10 Native women activists in Ms. Magazine in the 80s. But my father was a state legislator for 26 years. And he was also considered one of the most liberal Arizona politicians in history, but he yeah. also was a firm believer and inequality and equity um, with women um, and, and their rights as well. Um, and so I, I had really good um, teachers and, and mentors in that way. Um, yeah. Marie, tell us about your work. You use materials that are conceptually attached to narrative. And I'm wondering what materials do you use and how do you use them in particular to explore the stories with Native American themes? Yeah, I often uh, use wool blankets. Uh, I started incorporating them into my work about 15 years ago. And uh, I was drawn to blankets really because of how um, we use them in the Seneca community. And, and that is that we give them away to honor people for being witness to important life events. And one thing... Um, that 
I'm familiar with, especially with my mom working in Indian education for 27 years, is how um, these blankets aren't just, like, significant in our community, but they're really important in a lot of indigenous communities. And so I was interested in how, in some ways, they're just coded objects because uh, blankets have this resonance in Native communities, but then I also started to realize that, um, you know, blankets are these objects that we all um, have in our lives. We often take them for granted. And as I started uh, kind of scavenging for blankets at thrift stores, they used to buy anything like $5 and under. And I noticed that when friends and uh, other people saw these blankets, uh, they became markers for memory, and they'd see a satin binding or a specific color or texture, and and uh, they would start to share a story about a grandmother or about a blanket in their in their life. And so, I've really continued to um, listen uh, to the material, listen to people's stories, and my work has evolved to um, be uh, collaborative. And, uh, and so one thing I do oftentimes is host open to the community sewing circles where no, no experience is necessary and um, people can come and go as they, they wish. But one of the things that I enjoy about the, the sewing circles is that really when your hands are busy working with something as familiar as cloth or blanket, um, oftentimes stories tend to flow. And so... Um, the goal of the sewing, I don't know that there was, there's no goal in sewing circle. I think that, but the hope for, for me as the person who sets the table is uh, that uh, you might get to know a neighbor uh, or a person across from you in a way that um, you wouldn't have gotten to know them before. And I think that kind of building these relationships in a time where technology mediates um, uh, the way we know our neighbors, I think it's really it's really important that we're able to um, to to come together and kind of reflect in a way on our relatedness. Yeah, I'm really glad you talked about that because um, I, I knew that you um, that community collaboration comes to play in your work and and that's really um, neat what you're talking about right now. So, Marie, why don't you go ahead and describe one of the pieces that you have in the upcoming show, Feminisms, which, by the way, is opening up on September 26th. And talking to me today on the phone is the um, chief curator of the Wheelwright Museum, and she is the curator of, of this upcoming show, Feminisms. And Marie Watt, who is an artist, Seneca Nation, Andreas of the Navajo Nation and Maria, uh, Marie, I'm sorry, is um, living in Portland, Oregon. Okay, yeah, tell us, so, if, describe one of your pieces <laughs> in the show, in the exhibit, please. One of the pieces I have in the exhibition at 516 is called Shoulder Ride. And it is a piece that I probably made over a decade ago, and it features uh, my daughter who was then um, about three or four years old. And it's a uh, portrait of her. And um, I was looking at cameos at the time and thinking about what cameos are um, to different cultures. And, well, <laughs> I, I have never been the recipient of, of a cameo. I, I sort of like that idea of um, holding an image 
uh, of a beloved person close to you. And so I um, created this portrait of my daughter out of these kind of ivory um, blanket tones. And then on her shoulder, um, there are these smaller portraits um, of different people uh, and different, and specifically different women who um, my daughter at this time when she was three found inspiring. And then also, um, and then, and, and then looking at familial relationships and kind of um, capturing those women in our family um, that are also important to, to our daughter, Maxine. And so one thing that I found thinking about this piece at this moment is that now Max is 15 and, um, well, the women that are on her shoulder and, and giving her a shoulder ride, uh, while they still remain important in her life, uh, I think that she's got other role models that I look forward to eventually adding to this piece. So in many ways, it's a piece that's um, not finished. But the other thing I started thinking about is how um, they are on her shoulder. So, like, not only are, are they um, this generation to help her way through this world, but, like, in a way, she's also giving them a shoulder ride. And so I, I love thinking about how, um, how we give each other strength and we lift, we lift each other up. And I think that's like a really important part of um, the indigenous feminism that I know. That's great. Thank you. I guess one, and I, I should mention actually some of the women then that are on her shoulder. Yes, please mention uh, the women on her shoulder. <laughs> I'm sorry, I forgot, I forgot to mention some of the women that are on her shoulder. So at, uh, when Max was three, she, on her own, listening to NPR, um, fell in love with uh, June Carter Cash and Johnny Cash. So mm-hmm. um, June, June is on her shoulder. Uh, my, my mother, who Max calls uh, Sodie, uh, is on her shoulder, and, and she... Sodi got her name Sodi because Maxine could not say the Seneca word for grandmother, which is um, a code. So um, Sodi's on her shoulder. Uh, her great grandmother is on her shoulder. Uh, grandmother Mabel, her paternal grandmother Linda is on her shoulder. And then my mom, um, I asked my mom who one of her role models was, and my mom um, really loved Eleanor Roosevelt. So um, she is on her shoulder. So, uh, like I said, it's it's a work in progress, and it's a story with um, many many threads. Um, some that will um, become visible, and some that uh, Max will know or I will know, um, but but that might not be um, visible for everybody to see. I just really appreciate that concept of um, work in progress because it really. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> and I actually, it's so funny that you should say that because I think feminism really is a work in progress and it's um, elastic and uh, it is not female centric. Uh, feminism takes a community. And uh, I think that, I, that if we sometimes, um, maybe one of the challenges about writing or talking about feminism 
is that it's a loaded word, and I feel like it's often misunderstood. And I think sometimes it even alienates people who could or should be allies. Uh, so I, I really like thinking about how it's this dynamic, growing exactly. um, world and experience that we can build together. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. I'm going to go to Andrea Henley now because we have to talk about logistics and the details of the opening for this great show as, and give some dates and time. So um, I'm going to let you do that, Andrea. Why don't you tell us about the – there's an opening sure. for it and yes, everything I, else. I'm happy to do that. Thank you. I'm happy you. to do that. So the, the exhibition opens um, September 26th, um, and there's a virtual um, opening. And so on the 26th, you can actually register for this under 516arts.org um, and, um, and easily um, sign up to, to be a part of the virtual, um, the virtual opening, which I'm really excited about. Um, people like our congressman, um, Deb Holland, will be um, giving remarks um, on that day, which I think is absolutely wonderful. Um, and as far as, um, you know, the pandemic and what that means um, for New Mexico and, and especially with museums now um, starting to reopen, um, the in-person, the exhibition opens um, for members only on September 26th and non-members starting October 3rd. And what they're doing is they're, they're um, opening it by appointment. And so I think their appointments are from like Wednesday to Saturday from 12 to four. And you can schedule a visit actually on the 516 website as well. Um, I know that they're taking walk-ins um, and you know they can do that as a next available time slot opens after signing up at the front desk. And, and um and so they're doing as much as they possibly can to support the exhibition and, and being able to um, hopefully have communities see it in person as well as virtually. But I encourage you all to go to the 516arts.org um, 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 website um, and kind of look at all of the really interesting and wonderful um, public programming that's happening along with the exhibition. Um, on October 9th, there's a panel discussion, um, Women Curate Women, and that is at 6 p.m., and that includes um, a number of New Mexico women curators, um, including myself, um, Lucy Lepard, um, Marissa Sage, and Mary um, Statzer. Um, and um, it's going to be um, moderated by uh, Lauren Trisp, who's the publisher of Southwest Contemporary, formerly The Magazine. And um, I think that's going to be another virtual show, and you can register for that as well. But just a number of really wonderful programs that are happening. Um, there's a, um, a, uh, a reading, a literary reading with um, Laili Longshoulder, Lucy Tabahanso, who is actually the Poet Laureate of the Navajo Nation, as well as Edie Sung, who's in the exhibition. And um, artist talks, and they feature, um, and these are kind of going along the months, but this will happen on December 4th, and this will include um, Thais Mather, Marie Watt, and Angela Ellsworth, and that actually is another one that you can re register um, in advance for on the website. And these are all virtual, so everyone from all over the place can come in and listen in on all these really amazing programs that are connected to feminisms and um 
and and see some of the really really wonderful pieces that are included um we have a variety of mediums including video um performance installation um and two and three dimensional works that are all connected to um current cultural political historic um and um semiotic climates so i'm i'm very very excited about this show it is very very exciting I think it's phenomenal what 516 Arts has done over the years. And what I really love is the bringing in of community. So regardless of what the exhibit is, there are all these programming items for for people in the community, the readings and the conversations that are had. So, yeah, I highly recommend that you should go to 516arts.org to check out this exhibit that opens September 26th and runs through, I think it's January 2021. Yes. Hopefully we're going to make it to that year. No, I'll take that one out. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes I wonder. Sorry. (laughs) I know, it was meant for a laugh. Okay, so (laughs) thank you to Marie Marie Watt and um, Andrea Hanley.